This episode of PodSam is brought to you by Wegan Sports USA. You have tuned in to PodSam, the podcast channel of Sam Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. On this episode, we take you to Summer Ops Camp, which took place live September 10th through 12th, 2023 at Steamboat Resort in Colorado. How do you define success? Is it profitability, sustainability, visits? Just as the menu of summer activities, programs, and events varies between operations, so do the goals and metrics that measure success. On this episode, we share a session led by Claire Humber of SE Group, discussing the metrics for successful summer operations and how operators define them and use those metrics to identify their goals for the coming years. We'll dive in here with Claire Humber of SE Group. Um, My name is Claire. I'm the uh, Director of Resort Planning with SE Group. Uh, For those of you who don't know SE Group, um, we are a planning and design uh, and uh, permitting company that specializes in the world of mountain resorts and have been doing so since uh, 1958. And as the the industry started to move into summer, um, you know, our company did as well. Um, and I've been really fortunate to be focused on the sort of summer operations thing as part of my, my practice within the company. And as Olivia said, you know, every year since uh, the first summer ops, which it's hard to believe that was 13 years ago, um, you know, it's been kind of a really interesting journey to track how the industry has evolved, how the conversations have evolved, um, and also to be a part of this gathering, which really just epitomizes this industry, which is the sharing of ideas, Um, the being really honest with what's happening in your world, um, learning from each other, getting curious, getting outside, um, and just uh, really kind of diving into where we are. So uh, how do we define success? How do we measure success? Well, the first thing is it's going to be different for everybody, right? When we start to talk about what your summer operations are at your area, there's no two complexions that are going to be the same. No one has the same ski area, no one has the same brand, no one has the same natural environment, so no one is gonna have the same activities, programs, and events at their area, so no one is really going to measure um, success in the same way. And we really, we started talking to people about this last year, and you know, it started out as a conversation around financial modeling, and even more specifically, it started out as a conversation with how different community-owned areas and privately-owned areas measure success. And it sort of grew from there and became really a a kind of an interesting exploration. So what we did was I went through my, in in the old days we would say Rolodex, I went through my my list of sort of operators that I knew and operations that I knew, and I sent out an email asking what defines success. It's very, it's a random non-statistical survey, but we did try really hard to get all the geographies, all the types of ownerships, all the different sizes, day use, regional destinations, national destinations like Steamboat, um, and we asked the question. So of course the first answer is, well, profit, Claire, why are you asking me that stupid question? We're in a business, we know that. But we kept, we kept the dialogue going, and it really got, um, it really sort of added this really wonderful complexity to the conversation, and really it reinforced that one size does not fit all. 
So uh, there are some general themes, and we're going to go through this today. Um, whether that's the, like, can we talk about staffing one more time and how important that is to retain top talent, uh, about protecting the resource, the environmental resource, the community aspect, growth, return on investment, of course, is going to be a topic. Um, development in that kind of multi-season, multi-day destination situation, um, brand and presence in the marketplace. A lot of things came up over and over and over again. There was kind of a bonus to this that we didn't anticipate that was really wonderful. And that's many of the people that I reached out to said, you know what, this was such an amazing thing to do. We got our senior team together, we sat down, we took a beat, and we, we sort of ta started talking about what defines success. We really were like, whoa, look at what we've been doing. Like, it was a wonderful opportunity to actually celebrate success. And we heard Dave say, like, you guys don't get a break, right? It's like, oh, you know, the last wrench goes down, the snowmaking gun goes on, the, la the lift gets turned off, you clear out the snow, and you start summer. Like, it's relentless. Like, there was a year um, at camp where that was the main topic, like the kind of the burnout of doing year-round stuff. You don't have time to stop and say, hey, where are we? What have we done? This is, this is fantastic. So it was really, it was a great opportunity to do that. And a lot of the operators offered up because this is what we do, right? Offered up some lessons like, hey, here's the thing. And so, you know, sometimes it was lessons around success, sometimes it was uh, lessons around uh, not so much success. All right, so here's the cadence. I'm gonna, gonna read you a quote, we're gonna talk about it a little bit, I'm gonna tell you where it's from, um, and then we'll, we'll just keep going that way. Okay, so I thought this was a really, really good place to start um, for a lot of reasons. Let me just read it. Almost paradoxically, as the keeper of these natural spaces, we are also charged with allowing and encouraging the public to physically experience the land in our care and to sustainably manage the resulting impacts. The hope is always that by experiencing the land and witnessing our example of what a healthy human natural environment relationship looks like, our visitors grow a greater respect and appreciation for it and ideally, greater support for its care and how they interact with it. So when I first read this, I was like, oh my god, that's like everyone who's on National Forest Systems land, right? Like, it's, it's the ongoing conversation. We are all stewards of the natural environment that we are operating on, and it's so important to not forget that piece. It really came to the forefront during the pandemic when everyone had to get outside, and suddenly everyone was coming to your areas just to be outside, just to be in that natural environment. It's fragile, it's beautiful, it's majestic, it's hard. We have to take care of it and we have to celebrate it. And especially in the summer when the snow is gone and you can see so much more of the richness of that environment. So here's the surprise. This came from the operator of Mount Crescent. Does anybody know where Mount Crescent is? It's in Iowa. It's the only ski area in Iowa. Now, why is a tiny little ski area in Iowa sending such profound statements about the natural environment? The reason is because they are a community-owned area, owned by the county, Pottawatomie County, say that three times fast. Pottawatomie County is home of a, a natural phenomena called the Lust Landform. There are two Lust Landforms in the world. The other one is in China, 
and is nowhere near its natural state anymore. So the folks in Pottawatomie County Conservation Department actually bought the ski area, not to stop the skiing, but to add it to the Hitchcock Nature Center, which is next door, and develop a symbiotic relationship between the educational component of the, recreation, of the nature center and the recreational component of Mount Crescent so that they could continue to not just preserve the land, but to also celebrate it and share it with the county residents and others who come to visit the Lust Land Farm. It's just, it's a really fantastic story. All right, moving on. We are both a tourist attraction and a community resource that enhances the quality of life for residents in the city. Community-owned areas, right? The return on investment is different. It always factors in some level of benefit for the residents, whether that's um, through the, the, um, the revenue that comes out of the area or whether it's adding to the sort of recreational resource of the community, it becomes another park, um, whether it builds on the tourism attraction of the area, it's a, it's a different mechanic. So this came from uh, Spirit Mountain. Spirit Mountain is in uh, northern Minnesota, right? It's owned by the city of Duluth. I'm just gonna uh, read you, so Ann Glumax, the executive director up there, and Spirit Mountain's a public entity created by the Minnesota legislature to create multiple outdoor recreational opportunities for residents and visitors and to aid the economy of Northwestern Minnesota. That's our mission. Every activity we support, including pay to play and free opportunities, helps us realize that. That's a little different. It's a little different return um, than a privately owned area. And Spirit has, they have a little adventure park at the top and they're in the middle of sort of re-envisioning that. They've got a coaster, they've got a soaring eagle, for those of you who, who remember that one, um, some disc golf, uh, alpine coaster. They also have um, the area of Duluth as a gold center for mountain biking, one of the few in the in this country. And they have a great downhill mountain bike park. And out of that has grown a really great mountain bike camp, which leads me to the second thing that Ann said, which is summer mountain biking camps give kids a set of skills as foundation for what can be a lifetime sport. Sound familiar? The more participants we attract, the greater likelihood that we will be building lifelong customers. In addition, summer guests might be prompted to make a return to visit in the winter. So there's two things about this that I like. One is very familiar, right? Does everybody remember the like ski school or the snow sports, like three times a charm, like get them in, get them to come a few times, get them hooked. And in the case of maybe not just community-owned areas, but those of you who are adjacent to a community where you can have that local repetitive presence, that's like really good business. That's season's pass holders, that's loyal customers. And then the other piece is, you know, grab Eric Lipton at some point and have a conversation around easy fun, hard fun, if you've never heard that one before. But skiing is hard fun, right? It's something that you have to work at, it's a skill, you develop. Uh, mountain biking's the same way, right? Mountain biking's the same way, it's hard fun. So, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about the crossover between summer and winter and the audiences not being the same, but one could argue that in mountain biking, the audience is kind of the same because it's the same gravity, adrenaline junkie in the summer and the winter. We'll jump back into the conversation after a message from our partner, Wegan Sports USA. Wegan Sports USA, taking pride in the design, engineering, and installation of stainless steel rides, slides, and suspended rides. 
Wigan's hardworking team is the heart of this U.S. company and is dedicated to providing the highest level of customer satisfaction possible. Wigan Sports USA, where fun has no off-season. Learn more at www.wigansportsusa.com. All right, getting back to the basics of return on investment. We went slow and proved we could grow visits rather than building the big plan and hoping we'd be successful. Right from the beginning, the operation was cash positive, maybe not to cover the capital at first. So there's been a lot of conversations about return on investment. Rob mentioned an article that was in SAM that um, we wrote May, I think it was, about the sort of the, the, the phenomena in the ski industry around patient capital and how performers are 10 years and sometimes the work we do, like quarter of a billion dollars being spent here, like that's probably not a 10-year pro forma for everything, but they're playing the long game, they're being patient. And the point here is, and I think a lot of operators have really learned this lesson, like prove your assumptions and build your confidence by going incrementally, incremental investment, incremental growth so that you can actually track and learn as you go and it also allows you to sort of pivot and be flexible and creative as you grow as well. So this came from Killington um, in Vermont. Killington was a host of Summer Ops a few years ago, and, and Mike Salamano gave a wonderful presentation where he actually showed all the data behind this and how they had just very methodically grown one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. They ha also have a very successful mountain bike operation there but they have a, a really wonderful and growing summer operation in addition to that mountain biking. Um, Killington is a regional destination, so they're filling beds too, so there's that complexion um, happening there as well. So this is one of those like little cautionary tales that Mike offered up. Could be even worse than you think. What did he mean by that? So there's, there's this little occupational hazard when you start doing something new that you get really excited about the visits, you get really excited about the revenue, and you may not take a step back and say, okay, what about the incremental burden costs? So great example, I actually lived this like three weeks ago. We were on site, and um, the place we were working with had just started some you know, very small lift-serve mountain biking operation, and they were stoked. They're like, oh my god, you can't believe this many people came on Saturday, this many people came on Sunday, we had this many people in July, we have this much revenue. We're like, that's fantastic. Let's look at this a little bit more. Um, you know, what, did, what are your expenses? Like, what are your, what's your staffing costs so far? What are your maintenance costs so far? And they, they're like, huh, yeah, hmm, okay. So the point there, it's not, you know, you've got to be honest. You've got to be, you've got to really look at the bigger picture and think about both the revenue and expense to really define, uh, define and follow your success. Creating unique experiences for our guests. It continues to be more evident the guests want something unique. They need to see the value in the experience for their family. Sound familiar? We are in the experience business. It's a very competitive field. And again, nobody is alike here. Everyone has a different brand. Everyone has a different presence. Everyone has a different marketplace. Like, what are you offering that is unique and different and attractive to the people that are going to come to your area? So Dave Hunter said that. Uh, and you know, we've, we've heard a lot about Steamboat. We're seeing a lot about Steamboat. 
And we also know that they're at a moment in time where they're really thinking about this for summer. Like they, you know, they're, they're dialing in winter and they're really, really clear on that. They're very clear on their brand. They're very clear on their market. And they're starting to be very methodical around what that's going to mean for summer. It's a really wonderful time to be at Steamboat and to be part of that conversation because um, you know, they really are saying, all right, what does this mean for us? How does this, this brand that we've built that is internationally recognized, what does that mean for activities and programs and events? If anybody doesn't know much about this project, there is a website and it's really amazing. Um, it's, it's just, it's incredible the sort of um, number of different aspects that this is touching on. And from a development perspective, you know, they, they're expanding the scope or they're expanding the offering, right? They're broadening their audience. They're lengthening that seasonality as well as streamlining operations. And the seasonality piece, like if you're a destination resort, that is really important because you've got people that are going to need heads and beds every day of the year. And to sort of expand that seasonality is a really important piece. And to do that in a way that is true to your brand and true to the rest of your operations is really key. If you'd like to learn more about Steamboat's Full Steam Ahead project, visit fullsteamahead.steamboat.com. This might be my favorite. So I, I'll tell you that the operator that sent this to me followed up like a week later and said, oh my god, it was like the last thing I wrote before I went on vacation. That must have sounded like terrible. And I was like, no, it was perfect. So we entered into the wedding game in corporate retreats. I still struggle with this summer bake sale because it doesn't really fit the outdoor adventure brand we've developed. But what it does is keep our very talented kitchen staff working at what they do best. And then he continued, a word of advice. Kitchen people are horrible at most other jobs you may offer them to keep them year-round. Like, they're not the best guides in treetops. So giving them a canvas to paint on goes a long way to keeping them, and talented staff are hard to find. So the issue of retention, the issue of finding staff, this is, we've been talking about this as an industry for at least, like really loudly, for at least, what, three years now? Like the pandemic triggered this whole sort of seed change around how do we get people. Um, and what's interesting is almost everyone that I spoke to said something similar to this. And whether it was just in general, just the idea of, of getting people and keeping them, or there was also a subset of people that really specifically spoke about it in the context of food and beverage. And you know, the food and beverage component of our operation has gotten louder and prouder over the last, I don't know, decade or so when people start to realize how important the food and beverage piece is of either somebody's ski day, or their vacation, or their summer trip. It really matters. And the people that are running your food and beverage operation are artists. And you may not be able to keep them super busy all year round, but you want to keep them all year round, because finding another artist to get in residence is hard to do. This, by the way, was, um, Sorry, Marty, Bo Marty uh, Toady from Bowler Mountain in London, Ontario. It's a very funny, it's a great little spot, like literally in suburban London. Um, but Marty was, you know, the point he made about the summer bake sale and having to do, like getting into the wedding business and getting into the, the banquet business, part of that was to keep, the, uh, to keep those uh, food and beverage people on. 
And I had a little note here around the bottom. There was a couple of other people that weighed in, in in really interesting ways. One was, one operator said, you know, we're actually getting staff who want to come and work with us because they like playing here. So that live, work, play phenomena is really strong. And then the last piece is those of you that are adjacent to a community, you know, employing the youth of your community is such a great public service. And we have areas that um, you know, actually have a leadership program going on at their resort where they bring young kids in like when they're, they start to get to working age and they actually provide them with leadership training, they bring them up through the ranks, you know, they, they keep them busy, keep them busy, keep them um, sort of occupied and also passionate about something at an age where um, that's really important. All right, I love this because it's, it's just such great fundamentals around brand and return on investment and growth. So offer our guests amenities and attractions that, number one, make them want to come here in the first place, check. Number two, spend their money here rather than going somewhere else, good idea, check. And three, offer experiences that make them want to come back. If we can do those things, then we'll be successful in reaching our goals. So there's, you know, this is very familiar, right? It sort of gets a little repetitive. It's like the, the, the sort of mission, the, the, the battle cry, offer something unique that has value because, you know, I think if this comes up all the time. In summer, people have a lot of choice. And, you know, when people come to Steamboat, they might not come up to the resort. Like, how do you get them to come up to the resort instead of just being around in the area? And give them something that keeps them coming back keep them coming back and spending money at your area, contributing to that bottom line, and becoming loyal. So this was from uh, Massanutten, which is in Virginia. And uh, this area has been in the summer game for a long time. They have a big indoor-outdoor water park. They have a lot of beds there. And so they really are sort of intent on sort of keep capturing market, not just for the day, but for the overnight guest as well. And they have, they have mountain biking, they have a lot of events, again, the indoor or outdoor water park, um, they've got an adventure park, they have a lot of things going on there um, year round, every day of the year. So another comment on staffing, and I'm sure this will resonate particularly with you guys. Um, prior to offering summer activities, the resort had 15 full-time year-round employees who mostly focused on summer maintenance and a small handful of events. It was very common for us to have to look for six to eight new seasonal managers for the upcoming winter, and this was one of my primary jobs back there, he said, back then, he said tiredly. We now look for roughly one to two managers each year as we have 45 year-round managers and core staff. Our overall turnover rate has dropped way off. Making year-round commitment to managers and staff keeps them engaged with your resort and provides them with the benefits they need to stay with you. So the other aspect of this that's really important uh, in the watching the team deliver is activities, programs, and events. It's not just about the stuff. Those of you who have been to this camp before have heard me say that before. It's not just about the activities. It's also about the programming of the activities, the events that you host, to do those things, to actually use your activities in a way that is sort of uh, creative and resourceful, you need a really good team, you need a great senior team, you need engaged staff, everybody needs to be on board with that to create that kind of experience. And in order to do that, you have to have people that are sort of committed and 
having to hire and retrain that type of commitment is really, I'm, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, you guys know this, hard to do. Uh, Cranmore in North Conway in New Hampshire, uh, the Mount Washington Valley in New Hampshire sees millions of people driving around. North Conway is this weird echelon of tax-free shopping. <laughs> and, North Con and Cranmore is the ski area in town. So for them to be able to pull people out of that, that sort of stream of traffic um, and come and spend time at the resort. Um, Cranmore is part of the Fairbank group, so Jiminy Peak, Bromley, uh, and Cranmore. Jiminy Peak was the, like, the second summer ops camp venue uh, because they got in the game really early. And uh, in the Northeast, they were like, I think the first to build a mountain coaster. Um, they've got an alpine slide. They've got all kinds of stuff going on there. And Cranmore has sort of learned from that and, uh, and built their summer operations in a very similar way. The other point that Ben mentioned, which I think is really important to those of you who are regional destinations or national destinations, base area development became a reality based on the year-round attractions. Right? So there's this catch-22. Real estate sales, and this is you know, a lot about the, the full steam ahead here at Steamboat. This is a big component of that, too. Sales success for real estate depends on a vibrant year-round resort. And the year-round visitation that comes from the beds increases with overnight, or sorry, the year-round visitation increases with overnight stays, right? So the more heads in beds, the more visitation to your summer offerings, the more summer offerings, the more likely you're going to have a vibrant resort that is going to be uh, you know, a good climate for fostering real estate sales. So they both go together. All right, next area, where are we going now? Uh, increasing guest return rate year over year. Very successful in the winter, still a work in progress in the summer. So what's this about? This is about taking that first-time guest and turning them into a potential lifelong loyalist. Taking that memorable experience and parlaying it into an annual tradition. So again, if you're a destination area, even if you're a day area, getting people to come back <laughs> is, you know, it's always easy, easier to keep somebody than to get somebody new, right? So it, this, hap this is, uh, applies to just about every type of resort. Like if you're a community-owned resort, like getting your community members to come up and be sort of season pass holders. If you're a destination resort like Steamboat, getting people to book their family ski trip when they leave the year before, getting them to come every summer, um, getting them to buy real estate so they come more than once a summer. That is the key to this. Uh, so if you don't know about Lost Forest, you don't know what they're doing there at Snowmass, um, we, again, an, another past host of Summer Ops Camp, um, Lost Forest is a magical, event, a magical, magical, magical example of how you can merge um, design and sort of the aesthetics of the outdoor environment with summer operations. So yes, they have all the stuff. They have zip lines and rope courses and an alpine coaster and lots of hiking and mountain biking and disc golf and a amazing climbing wall, but it's all in this beautiful park-like setting, right? They have like a little fish pond. They have this wonderful little pond that you can walk around and like just sit and hang out. It's really, really beautifully done um, and uh, a wonderful part of their summer. 
Susan also shared this, um, which I love. This biggest success this season, a wooden ball track. What's a wooden ball track? Purchase a wooden ball for $10. That's the key piece. You buy the ball. And it's a keepsake. Drop it down a 130-foot track and run it alongside the ball and watching the ball as it goes through various obstacles. You cannot put a number on the smile and enthusiastic behavior of a child running up and down the side of the track, giggling and having a grand old time. We finally found an activity for the group that we were missing on, and older kids have also enjoyed it. This is, like, this is one of the newer things in the space that is just, it's so cool. And for so many reasons, one of which, like, don't forget those little kids. Everyone has a hard time with the little ones. And if you can keep a four to seven-year-old occupied for a while, like those parents are yours forever. Sarah's at the back going, yes, please, please do that. Please do more of that. It's hard, right? And parents, like parents with kids that age, they're tired. And if those kids can be that happy with a wooden ball running up and down and watching it come down a track, like that's a, that is a home run. And by the way, you're never too old to giggle. Does everybody remember the first time they went, went tubing? Right? And you're like, oh, that was fun. Like, I haven't laughed like that in a while. It's so fun to do kids' stuff. We reviewed all the offerings and asked, did they serve a purpose? And more importantly, did they make money? We found that several of them were labor intensive and were not making money, so we eliminated them. We made those decisions by looking at the data. That process really opened our eyes to the existing condition. We had settled into a long-time operating schedule that and didn't review it for efficiency. If you're not collecting data, start collecting data. Use your data. Continually question your assumption. Hold every aspect of your, of your operation accountable, and don't make excuses for bad performance. This was another really interesting theme that came up over and over and over again that I think really really speaks to kind of the arc of the evolution of summer operations is, you know, it, it started out with, let's have some things to do. And then it was like, oh, but if we had more things to do, we could keep people here longer. And then it was like, oh, I went to IAPA and I found this really cool thing and now we have even more things to do. And then suddenly it's like, wait a minute, why are we not getting the return that we forecasted? And then you start to discover, it's like, well, this thing over here is taking half of our staff and it's distracting us away from the other things. It's, it's a bad performer. And you know, it's the lost leader thing doesn't really hold water. Every, every piece of your operation has to be accountable in some way. Maybe different, but in some way it has to be accountable. And you know, we're kind of over the, the like making excuses for the bad performers. So this came out of Gunstock, also in New Hampshire, also been in the game for at least a dozen years. And um, you know, they were one of the operators. Tom Day from, from Gunstock said, you know, thank you, for, thank you for asking us to do this, because we actually had a great time sitting down and taking a look at what we had, do, had been doing and actually thinking about, all right, how do we define success? And actually realizing that we've learned some really good lessons. Um, and he was really happy to, um, to share those with us. OK. This is a really interesting one. Success for us is exceeding our guests' expectations. If we can continue to focus on the areas that improve the experience, we feel like the rest falls into place from an economic standpoint. Starting to get repetitive. We are in the experience business. 
right? And if we can, if we can strike that chord in the right way, uh, you know, we will find success. So we're going to pivot a little bit. So this quote came from Nick Thompson at Climeworks. Now you're like, Climeworks? Where is that ski area? It's not a ski area. Nick does not operate a ski area. Nick and I were having like Ski Industry 101 last night. He's like, so tell me, how does this work? Why would we have Nick here? Well, because summer operations, like here's the foundational thing. And Nick and I were talking about this last night. He goes, so how is the summer, uh, the summer guest different? I said, well, Nick, here's the thing. What is it, like between three and 5% of the people in this country identify themselves as skiers and riders? And Nick was immediately like, oh, so the, the other 95%, it's like, yeah, exactly, it's everybody else. And since we started this journey in summer operations, we have always looked outside of this industry to other venues that offer things in a multi-season context. And Nick, Nick has um, some great things to say um, about that. So he's with us. So I'm going to like stop talking for a minute and have Nick talk about his operation. And I think we all met when uh, we went to Gatlinburg. For those of you who haven't been to Gatlinburg or know anything about it, make a trip. Because one thing, it's in the Smoky Mountains. Smoky Mountain National Park is the most visited national park in the country. And it's not just because it's near a bunch of people, it's because it's spectacularly beautiful. Um, and Gatlinburg is like summer operations on steroids right next door. And that's kind of where you start out. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you talk about that for a couple minutes. Okay, well, actually it was kind of funny because I was asking Claire a bunch of questions last night because I'm, I come from not the ski industry. I grew up, I can say I can, I used to be able to say I was maybe part of that 5%. I was an avid rock climber back in the day. I spent probably more time on the mountain snowboarding in college than in class. I think I was part of the 5%, but I, a lot's changed since then. I started a company, and then I had a lot of kids, and I don't think I'm the 5% anymore. I'm the 95%. And so a couple of years ago, I decided, but, this, but, what, but what Claire told me about that whole 95-5%, that's what really stuck with me and, and really kind of made, made me think about it a little bit more. But what I've uh, kind of emphasized, I, I grew up in, I, I was raised in Nashville. I'm from Tennessee. We have a couple operations there, like Claire was saying, in the Smoky Mountains. We also have one on the north shore of Oahu in Hawaii. And we have between guided experiences to higher throughput attractions. But uh, what I've learned with a young family, I finally was brave enough about two seasons ago to take my family on a ski trip. At this time, they were ages, I had twin boys that were ages three, almost four. I had a seven, let's see, a six-year-old and a nine-year-old daughters. And I was finally brave enough to go skiing. So being a, I went to school out west at Utah State and Logan, so that was at my doorstep. So during college, it was something I was used to. I went out there again thinking, okay, I'm going to take my family. Well, I got a pretty big wake-up call. I mean, we, I, I did the whole thing. I did ski school. I put them in ski school. My wife and I got a, fir a couple of comfortable runs without our kids. And then ski school was over, and now we had four kids to take care of. Um, and like I said, I have, two, I have twin boys that were three at the time. We, after ski school, there was a, at that resort that we went to, I'm not going to name names, but I, I know a lot of you guys probably have great kid zones. But the one I went to that year had a very, very small, I mean, like maybe a 100-foot magic carpet, really small area to be able to teach my three-year-old kids how to keep doing pizza and french fries. 
And uh, my older girls are starting to pick up on it, but I only had my wife and I to take care of these kids. So it was an experience between the nosebleeds and all the other things. We figured, you know, we, we let the, put the skis off my boys, let them just, you know, slope down on their bellies on the, on the, on the excess ski, ski, you know, things that are pushed aside. And uh, that was that experience. The next year, I was like, hey, they're a little bit older. We're going to do this again. We went to one that's maybe a little more beginner mountain. And they had a big old magic carpet area, and it was great. We were doing great. And then the next, I did the ski school thing again. Then the magic carpet area was great. But then the next level up was a lot harder. The gap between the, the magic carpet area and the gap between the bigger um, slope area, the, the, next, the next trail, um, was, was pretty dramatic. My kids are scared still on a ski lift. And I don't think we're, I think we're somewhat an adventurous family. We like to boat, we like to do some other things. Lived in Hawaii, got to you know, get on the ocean and the waves. So we're not completely non-adventurous, but we do live in Tennessee. So, so the reality is what we guys have, most of you guys live at ski resorts, in ski resorts, work at ski resorts. Your kids are probably the pro skiers, the pro downhill mountain bikers. But when you're thinking about a summer activity, and they're not people that live in those areas, all of those things are new to them. A chairlift is new. That right there is already scary. I have, I have, I'm holding, gripping two kids, you know, as hard as I can, you know, it's new to them being up that high. You got the next part that, uh, you know, they never ski in on a mountain. That was a whole big, that was a whole big, another adventure. All these things are different, are, are new adventures. And I think we've, we've run in this too. We have our five percenters, the one that are the avid, um, the avid adventurer, design the activities for the other 95%. And when you have them design the activity for the other 95%, they're doing downhill mountain biking, or they're, doing, they're still wanting to have a, a, a crazier flow trail or whatever else. So what we've learned over those years, we've made some of those, some of those mistakes at our own attractions. We've realized, uh, and I also realized really quickly, that some of our guided attractions, they were, we can only act, you know, see people that are ages 7 and up. So my young family, or a lot of young families like mine, could, we couldn't, didn't have anything for them. And so what we've done now, full circle, I guess, is kind of looked at a little bit differently from that experience. The moral of the, moral of the ski story is I'm going to probably wait a couple more years until I take my kids on another family ski trip. But the hard part as a ski operator is they're a young family. My older, my older kids keep getting older, and they're not, they're not going to get the chance to ski. So I think that, you know, it's kind of made me think a little bit more about how do we look at our summer attractions as things that I can do activities for those families that do have three-year-olds and four-year-olds and five-year-olds and still have nine and 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds and all the other teenagers. And that, to me, is where Claire's uh, point really, really hit home to me. That so what we've done is we've kind of thought through a little bit more. So we have a, like I said, we have one we have an attraction on, the, on Oahu. It's been open about nine years. It's a guided zipline tour. Well, now we have access to about 1,500 acres um, that we've put a long-term lease on, on just about five minutes down the road. And so what we're doing there is we're kind of doing more of the high-throughput kind of model. It's really, it's at the base of it is, an, is another attraction that sees between 750 to a million and a half people, uh, between 750,000 people to the, for their attraction. Then there's a whole marketplace, dining areas, shopping, that sees another, another 750,000. So about, and so we have the benefit of having that to already be an attraction there. So, but what they have behind them is about 6,000 acres of beautiful mountain terrain in, in, in Hawaii. We, we leased about 1,500 acres. And so what we've done now is we've kind of thought through what can, all the, what can we all do, the elderly couple to the young family. And so instead of, uh, instead of mountain biking, we're doing scenic e-biking. And when we say that, we don't even call it mountain biking anymore because that scares people. We call it scenic e-biking. And along the way, we're not even necessarily pushing the biking as much 
We're saying that we're having stop. And this is this 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 project is in construction right now, so we're having stops along the way. To, there are other activities for them to do. So the biking is a way to get around, but we're actually getting them to uh, experience other things because we we try to push our, our motto at our, as our company is push people in their comfort zone, uh, pushing you know not to push them to the extreme, push them beyond what they're comfortable. But what they're comfortable with has changed, I think, in, as, in, as a society. You know, we started off with biking and uh, by one of our locations in the Smokies, and we realized that kids don't ride bikes like they used to when I grew up or when everybody else here grew up. So we kept having to raise the age because they didn't ride around the neighborhood all their whole life, try, you know, going around and playing out, outside. And so we kept having to raise the age. Well, then we realized our, our green flow trail was still too intense for kids that were under 12 years old that weren't, didn't grow up in a ski town that were used to downhill mountain biking. So now we're, our, this, this new one is going to be a very, very basic, very, very, very uh, gradual, slow um, biking experience. And along the way, there's going to be stops, other activities, whether it's little slides or whether it's little playground activities or whether it's just scenic vistas or whether it's all kinds of different, different things. Well, we did the same thing with um, doing the same thing with UTVs. Uh, instead of making it more of an adventurous ride, we're doing, using geofences, geofencing electric vehicles that can take us around and, just, and it's just a way to explore some of those areas. But they get to feel like they're, they're being adventurers, even though they, you know, they're not quite that 5%. They're doing something that's really adventurous to them by being up in the mountains in Hawaii. We've, uh, we've, we've worked with um, investing in technology for, that allows us to build um, some more zipline, motorized zipline trolleys that can take you around, kind of like our version of a chairlift, but we can kind of take them on guided, guided paths and teach, them, uh, and teach them along the way. And at the very top, when you get to the top of it, we have a 1,500-foot boardwalk that they'll be walking on. And along the way, we put little adventure playgrounds and some other activities on there. And it's over overlooking the ocean. So all those things now, we finally feel like we have. And this is all still to be proven. We've, we're just in construction right now on that one. But um, it's, it's helping us see that we, we're trying to create something now for that 95%. And in the summertime, if you don't focus on that 95%, that's the time where most people can travel. You know, if you get, you get people that live in your communities, they can go on a Thursday or a Friday or, or a middle of the week day to go visit your activities. But for the rest of the people that don't live in those communities, you're traveling in the summer. I, my kids are all in sports or other activities, and you got to travel when they're, when they're not doing all those things or when they're not in school. And so but we want to come to these places, and I think that's, that, that's the focus, I guess, for me, is that um, Claire's, Claire's kind of point actually hit at home is that Folks on the 95%, you'll get all those families that, are, that want to be adventurous, but can't, uh, don't know how to really do it in a way that's, uh, that's not scary to them or isn't going to be too intense for them. And that's just to add this, because I think this is a, just another, Nick reinforced the point that was made earlier. Uh, internally, our redefined definition of success is that it, can, it is only complementary if it can stand on its own two feet. Otherwise, it's a drain of our most important and limited resource of people and time. So you know, I think, again, that we're at that moment. Um, and there's this great expression. This came out of, ironically, the, the folks that hadn't really thought about the extent size of their mountain biking equations, but they had this expression of busy fools, right? Busy fools running around after things that, that aren't contributing. Um, and Dave Hunter had a great uh, point yesterday of having a secondary factor influence primary decisions. Like I think that's a similar, a similar vein of this. Like really stay focused, really stay intentional, uh, really stay clear on, on where you're at. All right.
So I will leave you with this. This is, again, this is from our friend Jeff Franco at Pottawatomie County, and I really think this applies to all of us in this business. Success is achieved when the human and natural environments flourish through actions that promote the well-being of both. We further succeed when, by our actions and words, we challenge and change our visitors' notions of what it means to have a healthy relationship with the natural world. And if in the process, we can manage to give a few dollars back to the people or to the business, all the better. But I guess in closing, I would say, think about how you define success. Uh, think about how you're going to measure success, what your goals are, what your metrics are, what your data is going to be. Um, and stay clear on that because it does change. What we thought was success at that first summer ops camp 13 years ago is different than what we thought five years later, 10 years later, and today. It changes. The, it's, one of the, it's one of the things that keeps us all inspired, right? The goal, coast, the goal post is always changing. The 95% and what they want to do and how they want to do it is always changing. Your staff, what they want, what they care about, what they'll do, what they won't do, always changing. So, you know, how we define success is not one thing, and it's never going to stay the same, too. So I think that's something that we should all keep in mind um, and all keep talking about. What are your metrics for success? Whatever they are, Sam Magazine can help you get there. Like, subscribe, and follow at www.saminfo.com. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSam advisor is Alex Kaufman. Thank you for tuning in to PodSam.